uh, and things are clashing and people do not realize that it's actually a worldview shift that's happening. And so in my keynote and in the breakouts and even in the uh, white paper that I did about this, it, I, I'm referring to something that has not taken place in the world since the 17th century. If you're like me, I know that free enterprise is the greatest opportunity in the world, but you also see there are huge issues starting to arise, like why is mentorship decreasing in popularity? Why do entrepreneurs like us who love to succeed see people fail at the top and never leave true significance? And how do people like us make a lasting impact on the world, and is it possible for enough entrepreneurial leaders together to make a real difference? These are the blaring questions, and this podcast is the answer. Journey with me, your host, Christian. Together, we will challenge the status quo and conquer our legacies. Thank you so much for tuning into Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. I'm your host, Christian D. Evans. And guys, we have someone very special because the reason why we want to have this individual on is because we see the landscaping change uh, for, for business structure and definitely leadership and obviously management and you know everything's going online. How do you keep that engagement and so forth? Uh, and he's done a ton of keynote speakers. We're going to be diving into a lot of fun, fun activities. Guys, he has been involved with leadership development, change management, and the generational megatrends and meta-narratives of millennials since the mid-90s. He has also 20 years of experience in senior leadership positions with a focus on change management. He's a passionate leadership futurist and an expert in the future of work and leadership. He will use uh, an incredible organizational to success in the future lead, lead needs of leadership and leadership teams. He is also the owner of Strategic Future and Give Powerful Presentations, my friend, Dr. Brian Wade. How are you doing, my man? Hey, brother. I'm good. Great to be here with you. I'm honored to be on your podcast and uh, talking to all your fantastic listeners. Well, hey, I'm really excited as well because, you know, obviously you have just incredible, immense knowledge. And if, if it's all right with you, I'd love to kind of just swing and get right into it. Is that cool? Hey, let's, let's dive in. <laughs> awesome. I love it. Hey, so obviously you have an incredible keynote here and it says the evolving world of leadership, how to adapt to changing culture. And I think this is very, very prevalent in today's world. But you say something right here. It will give you insight into the human components of change. The six leadership shifts necessary to evolve organizationally and the number one new skill leadership to be focused on to design the preferable future. If you could expound upon that. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, in our current world, we're having what I call like it's a massive shift in worldview. So when I grew up, we didn't have all these arguments and different names for different generations, right? It was just us and the old people. Now it's boomers and Dianes and Gen X and Gen Y and Gen Z and millennials. And it's like, we don't like them. And there's websites, you know, about uh, people hoping boomers pass and the, the, the whole thing. I don't know if you're familiar with that one, die, boomer, die, you know, uh, uh, and things are clashing and people do not realize that it's actually a worldview shift that's happening. And so in my keynote and in the breakouts and even in the uh, white paper that I did about this, it, I, I'm referring to something that has not taken place in the world since the 17th century. And that's the magnitude of it. 17th century, we have the age of enlightenment or the age of reason. It's a predominant worldview that we have now but didn't exist before the 17th century. In the 17th century, they come along and realize science, 
the earth isn't flat, mathematics, and everything was about empirical evidence. And so it was trying to discover the truth that existed in the world. Well, beginning, according to some social scientists, sometime in the 60s through the late 80s, all of a sudden now there's a worldview shift, and they call it postmodern. It's much more subjective, not we don't follow social norms. It's very much independent. And now it's my truth and your truth can be different. We're still going to call it truth. And so it's, it's a completely different way of even looking and responding at the world. So that clash is happening. And it's, it's felt in the workplace since 2017. There are more millennials now in the workplace environment than any of the other generations. And so they're causing a massive Massive swing. And so when I would be going to lead a, uh, a leadership seminar somewhere, wherever it was, people would ask, how do we manage millennials? How do we deal kind of from a negative impact? How do we deal with them? And I had been studying, you know, postmodernism and the shifting culture and all that since uh, the mid-90s, dating myself when I got out of grad school. And I realized, like, most people don't have a clue about... Uh, patterning their leadership, patterning even their communication to uh, the different generations because they don't think the same way. They're not motivated the same way. If you really understand the environments that they grew up in and even some of the parenting uh, tactics that have happened, you begin to see how uh, their thinking has been shaped. And so people are frustrated because, you know, millennials on average, now this doesn't fit everybody. So I want to make sure that we say that. But uh, retention is a big issue, meaning uh, coming into your job and staying. It's because like one of the six leadership shifts I talk about is they, they're not looking for necessarily a job. They're looking for a career. They're, they're not looking just to get in a position. They want a job, a role with a company that fits their identity and that has a sense of purpose for them. So it's not just, oh, let me try and get a job. It's what is that? What is that company doing? Are they doing good in the world or not? And the job that I'm doing, will it be strength-based, which is also important. It's one of those uh, six steps. In fact, uh, focusing on strengths is what Gallup Poll said was the most startling discovery they found about millennials. And we all want to focus on strengths, but they want to focus that much more on strengths. And so when it comes to retention, baby boomers, now again, these are averages, but baby boomers believe that they would have two to three different types of jobs in different companies. So be in one company and you would climb the ladder, but then you might leave and go to another company and climb the ladder there and maybe a third time. Well, Generation X, my generation, uh, we thought we'd have between like four and seven, you know, and like uh, jobs five, six, and seven, we accounted for a midlife crisis, you know, which most of us are currently in. But millennials, and here's the startling fact, and remember, this is not all of them, but the average thinking along the lines of how many jobs you'll have is between 15 and 30 with millennials. That means they're not going to stick around if there's a bad boss that is yelling at him, screaming at him, they're not going to stick around. They've got the, there's something better for me out there. I'm not going to go through what my parents went through being stuck in a dead end job with a boss that they hate. And so as managers and leaders, we have to understand where they're coming from and begin to tailor our uh, management leadership style to embrace them because the reality is they're not going away. 
we're going to have to adapt to technology, to all the unseen forces that are out there, and certainly have to adapt to uh, millennials and uh, the, the incoming uh, Gen Z. Wow, wow. And uh, so let me ask you this, because there are certain um, almost prejudgment prejudice toward millennials. And so I'm just curious, what are the, the, what are the, the right prejudgment of millennials and what is the incorrect way of looking at it sometimes? So obviously we're, we're lazy, we're mission oriented, all that stuff. Is that true from what you've noticed? Or is there some of that that's incorrect and there just needs to be like a, a, a kind of a mindset switch? <laughs> well, I think there needs to be a mindset switch. I am actually 100% a massive proponent of everything millennials are bringing to the workforce, which is why I love it so much. And I'm absolutely pro millennial and the changes. Like you, you, you don't put up with bad bosses, people yelling and screaming at you. And I, I say in my seminars, we should never put up with that all along. We should have never allowed people to do that kind of behavior in the workplace ever. And so I, I do think that there's a shift that has to take place from some of the older generations because we want to gripe about it and all this. And the reality is everything that my generation or boomers above me could say about millennials, the generation before us said about us, you're entitled, you're this, you're that. And there are some unique characteristics, right? Like uh, I was just talking with my mom the other day and she's like, man, we used to let you guys ride your bicycles all over town. And buddy, I'm telling you, we'd be 10 miles away and she wouldn't give it a thought. Well, it's a different world today. And essentially generational cohorts, they are formed by what's going on in the world. And so uh, I think one of the things that I find that is a problem is people have, if you don't think like me, then if I'm right, that means you are then wrong. And that's the type of, I don't want to call it prejudice, but just call it misunderstanding that we have to get away from because one worldview is not right and the others are wrong. They are what they are because of the environment, the time, the culture, it, it, all, it all is a factor, right? So it's, it, it's not, uh, you know, well, one half of America is right, the other half is wrong, or America in our worldview is right, and people in Europe or Africa or Asia are wrong. It's just different ways of looking at the world. And if we can understand actually that differences make us better, as a leader, if I can understand that millennials and Gen Z, which are my kids, they can come in and help me, my team and my organization be better. Why? Because they look at things differently. And so I, I think that it's some of us that are uh, a little bit older that have some work to do to really understand where they're coming from. And if I understand, then I can have empathy and I can have compassion and I can work with you rather than being frustrated that uh, you, you may be not responding the way that I want you to. Well, that's very interesting. So there's a collision going on right now. And it's just like yeah. you said, it's the perspective of what's going on. And then that's what's kind of colliding. So let me ask you this now, because we know that, what are some things that as a leader, right, that you should be aware of? Like there are some things I think obviously you should compromise on, right? Maybe adjusting the way you, you say things or do things or whatever, right? Or the cadence of life. So what are some some ways to make that adjustment or what are some things that you should not be compromising to make sure that the business is still structurally moving forward? Well, I, I, I think one of the things we have to do as leaders is understand that uh, leadership is shifting in, in a big way. 
just like the organizational structure, one of the things I ask is like, all right, so where, where did we get uh, the organizational structure of most businesses? If you think about IBM 19, in the 1980s, where did it come from? Well, the answer is the Industrial Revolution, 1820s and 40s in England, and the invention of the steam engine, and then uh, factories and assembly lines in the 1900s here. And so everything is based off of kind of, you know, quantity and quality control. And we have supervisors checking quality and quantity and supervisors over them and managers over them and managers over them. And over the last 20 years, what have we been getting rid of? All, all of that middle management moving towards teaming. Think Google, collaboration, uh, creativity. And so for me and my understanding as uh, leadership teams are moving forward. The idea of shared responsibility is is big. Understanding that we're all part of the team. I might be the the team lead. I might be the CEO, but this group here, there's power in this collaborative effort that I can get from the group. Now it's going to take a little bit longer than me just saying this is what I think. Everybody, you're my minions now. You go and do. But it's, it's a lesson that has been around for a long time. I remember being in grad school and a uh, now friend was part of the United States military. He was a little bit older, coming back, doing some grad school work. He was an officer during the first uh, Gulf War. And he talked about how General Colin Powell would come and share his thoughts and insights on a strategy or whatever, and then come back in a day or two and require everybody to come and have a different perspective, an opinion, where his plan might be weak, where they can make it better. And that stood out to me, not only about the collaboration, because then you're getting buy-in. And when you get buy-in, you don't have to sell it. But also what really struck me is that type of leadership shows an amazing amount of leadership confidence. That degree, I don't think we find very often. So I, I, I do think that we have to really move towards shared leadership. I think that we have to move towards like a coaching model uh, rather than doing a yearly, hopefully they, people do their evaluations more than one time a year. Please, God, please, more than one time a year. But uh, for millennials yourself, they want ongoing coaching conversations. And I always make this big deal. Like, what if I was your children's basketball coach? And uh, let's say they're seven years old. They don't know how to shoot the ball, you know, front like this. They always do the kind of behind the back two-handed, you know, Dr. J loop because they can get the ball up high enough. And what if, you know, game one, your kid's still shooting the ball weird, game two, game three, all the way to the end of the game or end of the season. And you come to me and say, coach, man, I thought my child was teachable and coachable and he or she really wanted to play basketball and excel, but my child's still shooting the ball weird. And what have I said to you? Oh, don't worry about it. I haven't told them what they're doing right or doing wrong. I'm waiting until the end of the year in my kind of performance team evaluation to tell them what they're doing right or doing wrong. You'd be like, you're, you're, you're the worst coach ever, the worst coach ever. And yet in a lot of organizations, that's quote coaching, that's quote management. We only tell them either what we don't like or we wait to the end of the year when we're focused on that. You know, we get so stuck in these ruts that we forget that people are, are human. And like one of the big takeaways for me besides communication and learning how to communicate is the idea of emotional intelligence. We have to have emotional intelligence as leaders to understand our emotions, to regulate those, 
and to understand uh, the emotions of others. And so emotional intelligence for me is one of the most important uh, leadership topics for people to grab hold of and to uh, kind of really master. So this is interesting. I'm glad you kind of talked about emotional, uh, emotional intelligence because I do know like you need to have the proper, um, you know, mindset health, right? A little bit, uh, mental healthness. Um, yeah. Though I always find, you know, I am, I am what is called a millennial, right? And uh, the thing that I get really frustrated with my generation is a lot of times they're categorized as snowflakes. And I do somewhat agree with it, right? They are, some of them are very, very, um, you know, just come on, grow a pair, let's move on. All right. Mm-hmm. You didn't mean it, you know, and so forth. Right. Um, but what, what have you noticed with, you know, working with um, obviously, you know, um, older, you know, leadership to to younger leadership, and obviously overcoming, I guess that 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 limiting belief that hey, we're snowflakes and we can't handle it. Oh, we need mental health days, all that stuff, right? Because that does come across sometimes. It does come across sometimes, but you know, I always underscore the fact that a lot of uh, a lot of that is not 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 your generation as a whole. There are some. But it's real easy to point out, like in the generation of the 70s, the hippies. Well, not everybody was a hippie, but that's what we remember. Point out all the anti-war movement. Well, not everybody was completely that that way. And so we tend to to characterize uh, kind of the worst case scenario. I I do think that there are some issues. You know, I've talked with some friends of mine that are principals because they're just shaking their head. Principals at accounting firms. And they're like, you know, this. Young guy comes in, great, uh, great education, got great history, was in California moving to, I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, he shows up to his interview, shorts and flip-flops and a Hawaiian shirt. And, and she's like, what's up? And I'm like, it, you know, it's just, it's just different generation. So uh, I, but, but I'm careful not to categorize people because I think stereotyping isn't always true. Are there some of those things and some people that respond that way? Yes. But are there plenty that don't? Yes, there are. So uh, for me, it's an individual situation, right? I'm influenced by my generation, Generation X, where the latchkey kids were highly cynical about everything. I'm incredibly cynical. (laughs) <laughs> on certain things. And it served me well at times and not well at other times and times I should have been more cynical, but just knowing that, okay, that's kind of who we are generally, but not everybody my age is overly cynical. Not everybody's a snowflake. Not everybody's going to show up to a job interview in Bermuda shorts and flip flops. And so I, I, I tend to shy away from kind of the stereotypes and really want to look into what are the general trends? We call them a general trend know that there are some people that fit that mold and there's a whole lot of others that don't. I like that because see, one of the things I've noticed about our culture right now, because there's such a lack of trust and, you know, organizations and people and all that stuff and whatever, it's almost like you're guilty before you're proven innocent, right? And vice versa when you're innocent and proven guilty. And so it's like, Hey, you're a snowflake until you're proven innocent. Right. And the reality is you need to have the right perspective, what you're saying. Hey, there are, you know, and and like you said, it's easy to just categorize and put everybody in that bunch because it's just by human nature, it just makes us, you know, more comfortable with that. Um, And I appreciate you kind of emphasizing that. Now, let me ask you this. Okay. So we got this young generation. Okay. What is your take on like 
Enneagram personality test, being able to facilitate, hey, you know what, this person maybe is not the right approach with this person. I find that very interesting now with, with the technology. I've, I've taken a lot of personality tests and I find this very interesting and, and just work place environment and like, hey, how should you approach Billy Bob? How should you approach and have a conversation with this person? Uh, what is your take on that? And uh, I'd love to get your kind of insight okay. on that. <laughs> so uh, I love them. And it's just part of my personality. Like I love ideas and philosophy and psychology. So I love them. I, in fact, use uh, the DISC personality. I have assessments to do coaching off of that because it, it's the easiest to understand. Because most people that I'm talking to, uh, Christian, they don't care near as much about it as I do. I get jazzed up and get happy. They're like, oh, God, not one of these again, you know. But uh, so whether it's the Enneagram, I love uh, the Myers-Briggs personality, and I'm a huge fan, even though it took me a long time to figure out uh, the Enneagram, you know, because the Enneagram is a little, it's a little different, but I'm telling you, it reads me like a book, reads me like a book. The reason that I do uh, the DISC personality, I do uh, a lot of assessments. Actually, I have the DISC assessment, do motivational drivers. And then EQ, I call that my trimetric, and it gives an incredible look at somebody's uh, emotional intelligence, what drives them, and then their personality. And it, it, it lists uh, their natural as well as their adaptive. So if you have to shift a little bit towards, you know, it's kind of your preference, shift to fulfill a role at work, you might be, you know, much more of a people person, what you call an eye on the disc. Sometimes we do colors, be yellow. And if you get stuck into a position where you can't be as social and you have to be a little more detailed, which is kind of the opposite, I think it's helpful for people to know and understand themselves. But from a leadership perspective, I think it's 100% vital for us to understand communication differences because like I am in the disc, I'm a high D, you probably are too, and a high I. The people that are right across from me, which is 50% of the people, they're the S, right? So they're real deep. They're pretty detailed. They're, they're very much like we want to be nice to everybody and think about everybody. And my natural personality is task-oriented, and I can appear. Now, it's not who I am. It's not true. But I can appear to prefer tasks over people, which is like anathema to that opposite personality type, right? So just me being me, communicating in the way that I like to communicate, I can actually offend somebody. And so in my seminars and communication, we talk about the golden rule, which most people know, you know, do unto others the way that you would have them do unto you. But in communication, this guy named Dr. Tony Alessandro came out with what we call the, the platinum rule. And the platinum rule is, I'll, I'll give it in that language and then explain it. Let's do unto others the way that they want to be done unto. In other words, when we're thinking about adaptive leadership, I want to adapt not only to generations, but I want to adapt to, adapt to those personality or behavioral styles so that I am speaking a language that you, that you hear. So communicate in the way that you want to be communicated to. So I like to be communicated. I want bullet points. I want fast moving. I don't want all the details and the data. So you know how to speak to me. This is what we want. This is, we're going after Brian. Boom, 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 boom. I'll clarify it. And I'm off to the races. 
Other personalities, you have to show them the details. This is why. Here's all the facts. Here's all the figures. Other folks that are a little more, uh, you know, the I, the influencer, the social, will want to talk and engage because they're people, people. Tasks are second. So they want that relational connection. So I'm a huge believer in understanding generational perspectives, generational cohorts, as well as some model, whether it's the Enneagram, whether it's Myers-Briggs, whether it's the DISC, I'm a big believer in that because we have to adapt our communication to be understood. Yeah, I'm a big believer in, in that. And, and one of the things I was working with a company and they had me take this other thing. I'm like, oh, another assessment, right? Oh gosh, okay, fine. And then it was interesting because I was working with them, but then they, the reason why they wanted to do that was because they had all these other individuals that also took it. And then as a, as a strategist, I was able to identify, okay, how am I going to approach my conversation with this person? And it was basically giving me the answer of how, to, how they listen and process information. Hey, are they more analytical? Okay, wonderful. I'm going to talk about of this person more kind of creative and visionary okay i'm going to talk more stories with them and it was interesting is how effective that became um and again now let me ask you this because i think this is very powerful i think a lot of business owners that are listening right now they've heard of that but once you have the data and you have this how do you as a leader facilitate growth and making sure that you're very intentional with okay optimizing every piece of those those data points if you will yeah well <clears throat> Uh, that's a great question. So one of the last companies that I just did, I did a trimetric with because they were trying to decide which which people would they promote into a leadership type of category, which is why the EQ and the motivational drivers were so important. But they had a really great idea, a company based in Bloomington, Indiana, and they uh, do landscaping and uh, design. And, and they're like, during our staff times, we're going to buy colored t-shirts of uh, the different colors because D would be red, the I would be yellow, we have S is uh, green, the C is blue, and, and just begin to begin to work through the data points. And especially with uh, the CEO and business owners, I sat down and went over point by point how you're going to communicate with them because they were all having, uh, some of the employees were having some issues and there's some wrestlings going on. And I was able to communicate with uh, those leaders, look, this is, this is what this person needs. This is what they, you're, you're saying the right words, but if you use the five love language, you're saying, I love you in language number one, and they speak language number four. So they're not hearing it. And they're trying to say, man, I want to, I want to serve you and I want to do the best, but you're not hearing it either. And so they have conflict that happens. And so I walk through and help people understand just how important that individual's personality is help them find creative ways to remember that personality because the reality is this. And you know this, Christian, this is why I set up my business, at least my goal is to, is to have it structured like a consultant. All right, so I had a little, a little bit of consulting background. You know, a lot of training, people want to check off the box. And you come in and, all right, let's do a training. Boom. Okay, done. Well, you know, when things get stressful, we default to what we've known. And so I'm going to default just to being read. Here's orders. Everybody get it done. Move, move, move. So we need some uh, ongoing conversations, ongoing coaching conversations, ongoing training. And that's one of the things that I really love to do to help businesses shift is to kind of take that role, to help the leaders understand, to help 
you know, the staff understand, the team understand, but really to begin to uh, form that leadership perspective where they're adapting communication, where they're growing in that emotional intelligence. Because if I just come in and do a great seminar on emotional intelligence, all right, it's cool and everybody's good and they're happy for a week and two weeks. And then after that, they forgot everything and they're back to their normal behaviors. And so it's really, it's, it's really forming and developing leadership. And that's, that's what I'm really about is helping develop leaders, and the, the, the skills and turning those skills into habits. So I don't have to think about how I'm going to communicate with Christian. I don't think how I'm going to have to communicate with this person. It begins to happen naturally because I've created those neural pathways and am now able to do it almost intuitively as soon as I get a sense for your personality. Man, wow, that's very, very good insight. And just to have the right expectation and for some of the business owners, you know, some of the business owners that we work with uh, that, that are listening to this podcast, they have, you know, maybe five to maybe like upwards of like 40 people that they have, right? Um, at what point, because once you get roughly around three to five million, you have a large team, right? And you, it's, it's now just not moving numbers and sales. It's about moving a team in the right direction. And I guess maybe emphasizing, okay, the importance of putting this cadence in. At, at a very early stage. So you're not behind the eight ball and like, oh gosh, we got to catch up. Every, we're, we're the churn rate, the retention rate's horrible. People aren't sticking and obviously you're losing money and, and it costs, you know, uh, yep. a lot of money to, to hire and, and, and uh, find the right candidate. Yep. Yep. It, it does for sure. And, and the sooner, the better, right? Like when I come into companies and they're having me do seminars for emerging leaders, that's what I call them, right? That were staff and now they've just been promoted to supervisor, whatever the case might be. I always, I always start off and I'm like, congratulations. You know, you're at a company that actually gets it. They're trying to form you now. What most, most of the time what happens is you get this guy or this gal and they're great at what they do. And so, man, I want, I want that team to produce the same way this person is. So we're going to make you supervisor. And they say, congratulations, you are now Mr. Miss Supervisor now. Go do it. Sink or swim. Fight the sharks on your own. Just produce in them what you do and life is going to be good. But you and I know that what they do is one set of skills and leadership communicating with people is a completely different set of skills. And so forming that into your team uh, is going to take is, is going to help you with conflict. It's going to help you understand the power of teaming and synergy and momentum and all the great things that come with teaming. It's going to help you be creative and essentially, if you get down to really having great leaders that are adapting their leadership and are emotionally intelligent, there's a massive bottom line, either savings or earning that you have. Because psychologists tell us for every negative interaction, emotional interaction that a boss has with an employee. So if I come in and yell at an employee and he or she feels shamed or put down and uh, it impacts their productivity for four hours, for four hours, you know, so where, where they might be 100% of their day, you know, productivity, they might be like 30% for those four hours. Well, what if I come in four hours later, see, they're not being productive and yell at them again and scream at them again and you're worthless and blah, blah, blah. Now I've just destroyed their whole day. I've got 30% compared to 100%. And so getting this, you know, getting these principles in, in your teams and your leaders mind and developing these skills is radically important. The earlier, the better.
Yeah, and I, I and just to footstomp that, just the importance because you think about the return on investment, right? You everybody always thinks about return on ad spend, right? It's the same thing, return on investment of each employee, right? It's like, hey, you know what? If you're not getting a hundred percent capacity, what's the capacity of that individual? And just like you said, by tweaking that one thing, like you just saying, that could give you know keep that hundred percent capacity and output at a high maximum just by changing the way you adjust. Um, you know, that, 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 that response. And I love that. I think that's brilliant. Now you're talking about adaptive, um, you know, leadership and obviously, you know, COVID happened. Everybody went online. We were still building businesses. We have an international team. How do you, how do you, how do you keep that leadership? How do you keep that community? How do you keep that connection? And you're not in the office. You're not having fun. You're not, you know, routing, engaging, but you're, you're, you're at home and uh, you're on zoom meetings. You know, how, how, do, how do you do man? I know. <laughs> so uh, I got Zoom weary really quick, as I think much of the world did. You know, early on, early on. So I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. I have uh, all grown kids now. The youngest just turned 20. He's at uh, Fort uh, Benning in Georgia. Uh, fantastic. And I, I actually, the first couple of months, I loved it because I was traveling so much. Now I'm home with the kids. It was just like, I was saying to myself, I'm never going to get this again. I'm never going to have all the kids stuck in the house for this amount of time. So it was first fantastic. Second, what I started to do is I had uh, friends all over the country and we would meet on Tuesday evenings for just a guy time, get your beverage or two or three of choice and we'd hang out and talk. And so there was just that sense of community fighting isolation. But honestly, other than the travel, I, I've stayed connected with people both on Zoom, because a lot of people preserve, uh, prefer Zoom now rather than face-to-face -face meetings, at least early in COVID. Uh, but it's just staying connected. You know, I would meet with people and we'd go walk outside and we'd, you know, stay social distance. We need to wear a mask, we wear masks. Uh, but it was just, it was doing things to keep that sense of, uh, connectivity and relationship because isolation, I believe, is uh, it's an illness to the human soul. And I know that psychologists talking about children and families that have stayed isolated through this whole thing has a tremendous uh, negative impact on their psyche. And so I'm just I'm the type of person that I can't sit still and I don't want to be alone. You know, I, <laughs> I don't want to sit in the house by myself. Now that the kids are gone, they even took the dog. It's like I find ways to get out with people. And so whether it was Zoom meetings or uh, going to meet them and taking a walk out in the fresh air when we could, I, I just did everything possible. Now, the business side, boy, for a while, it was rough because everybody wanted to go Zoom. And so we jump it on Zoom. But then after a while, I think folks were Zoom weary. And uh, so that, that seemed to slow down for me. But it was then. So I do leadership. I also teach, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> on uh, public speaking because I was the kid that grew up and was terrified to speak in public. Terrified. Terrified. My mom still, my mom's 83 years old. She's like, and I've been doing this for a long time, Brian. I still can't believe that you stand up in front of people and speak. And I'm like, mom, it, you know, you know, it was like my greatest fear, like oral reports in, in school were the worst thing that could have ever happened. I do an 80 page paper over an oral report. But I tell you, one of the things that I did during COVID that helped me was I've been doing these uh, 
you know, how to become a great communicator seminar all around. Well, I've been wanting to, for years, put that on video. And I've had clients saying, put it on video. You know, most people that are really introverted are too shy to, uh, to ask for coaching or come to a seminar because they know you're going to make them stand up and talk. <laughs> so the fear gets them ahead of time. So I also did that series, uh, video series. I did two, actually. One, Overcoming Fear and Mastering Public Speaking. And then the second one was Advanced Business Communication, How to Communicate Vision. Uh, uh, how to give an epic presentation because everything is changing, right? It's epic is experiential, participatory, image-based, and content-rich. Like, it's got to be good. If I can YouTube it in three minutes and you're going to try and tell me in 50 minutes, like, I'm, I'm opting out of the live ser- you know, session. I'm going to the three-minute YouTube video. So <clears throat> I just stayed busy and I stayed connected. And, you know, I know, gosh, I've been traveling like crazy lately. People are opening back up and, and they, want, they want training. They want leadership development. So it was a good hiatus. I got a lot done, stayed connected with friends, got to love, love on my kids. And uh, now I'm happy that we're emerging or at least potentially, hopefully emerging. <laughs> Definitely. I, I hope so as well, man. I hope so as well. And uh, so let's kind of talk a little bit, uh, dive into that a little bit further, because see what I was finding interesting is I was, um, you know, running, uh, working with a business and they were doing a business conference and they had all their employees on it. So they wanted me on there as well. That Okay, cool. Wonderful. I'll, I'll, I'll attend. And they wanted my feedback in that regard. And so one of the things is what I notice is that first of all, it was just the, the owner that was talking to all of his employees and they were all just on Zoom and cool. But then what he was doing was the way he was engaging was, okay, type a number two if you agree into the chat, you know, and all those, you know, hey, put a thumbs up, wonderful, get, you know, and that's all that was going on. And, and I guess my thing is, is sometimes it's hard to, um, you know, push off emotion and engagement through digital world. Uh, I know VR is going to be very interesting to see what happens with that. But uh, I really want to talk about really kind of what we've got going on now because we do have a lot of business owners. They got Zoom and they have Slack. They have other ways of communicating, right? There's that communication. That's fine. But it's like, how do I keep them engaged? How do I keep the vision alive and that fire burning? Because we all know by keeping them in in an arena, that's one of the reasons why we love to go like live events like Tony Robbins or Dave Ramsey is that there's a synergy, that energy in there that you can't really describe unless you were there, right? Right. And uh, how do you kind of almost copy that on the online world and keep that momentum going? Right. Well, it, it... That's a difficult trick because I don't think you get quite the same feel online as you do at a live event. However, I do think that there are things that we can do. And some of it is that engagement. Give me a thumbs up, you know, do a poll. You've got Mentimeter and lots of really great type of uh, tools out there to help. But for me, if, if I understand who I am, I am communicating with, like, I am a huge fan of video clips and other things. Like, I, I talk about, uh, my favorites is talk about active listening, how important, like, listening to understand is. And there is a fantastic clip from the Big Bang Theory. It is one of my favorite things to show. And here's the deal. Even if, you know, if I'm on Zoom where I can see people or if I'm in a seminar room where there's people, most of the time, 
you know, when I, I'm speaking for six and a half hours in a company or six hours, I can keep people fairly engaged because I know the rhythm and flow and keep them moving and not give them a whole lot of opportunity to tune out. But every time you show a video clip, even the people that are kind of, everybody looks up. Everybody looks up. And especially if it's something that is current and relevant, right? So Big Bang Theory, almost everybody loves. And if you don't, you're, you're still going to love these little clips. And so it's just being creative. You know, it's not just the thumbs up and, you know, polls are great and uh, getting people to talk and interact, but it's, it's carrying that sense of enthusiasm, right? So was it Aristotle said in rhetoric, like to influence people, you have three things. You have pathos, ethos, and logos. Lo uh, logos is uh, the logic. Ethos is your, is your ethic is where we get our word, but it's like, do you, do you believe what you're saying? If you don't, it's, there's that disingenuine communication where you've been talking to somebody and you're like, look, they're saying all the right things, but something's not right here. That's the, the ethic. And then pathos is, of course, passion. We have to have passion as leaders. Communicating vision is perhaps one of our number one goals. It's something we do. I say, you, you say the same message, you just figure out a million different ways to say it, to say it with energy and to illustrate it. As well as if you understand, this is what I, part of what I did in that advanced business communication, if you understand group dynamics, that you have all those four different disc personality types there, you have to throw little seeds for each one. You have to throw little seeds for each one. So I, got, I have to share some details for my detail-oriented people, but not enough that you know, my drivers and my influencers are going to check out and go to sleep. So it, 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 online engagement is, is tough and it's just creating. In fact, I do uh, some seminars uh, on it, just a little short couple hour webinars, but it's, it's, it's a beast where you have to know your audience. You have to know your purpose. You have to try and keep them as engaged as much as possible. But I'm a big fan of, uh, of clips of asking questions. Like when I'm talking about adaptive leadership and talk about, uh, how difficult it is because in any form of change, people go through emotions similar to grief, denial, anger, uh, sabotage, loneliness, repression, whatever it might be, bargaining, and then finally acceptance. So you've got groups all the way, uh, people all the way through those different emotional styles. Well, I, in communicating, I have to know uh, where people are so that I can speak to that and I can help lead them forward and say it in a million different ways. Otherwise, it's falling on deaf ears. And so just understanding group dynamics, learning how to communicate, communicate vision in a pictorial type of way, and really understanding my audience so that I can, uh, I can speak to their heart. You know, oftentimes people come up, I'm sure this is the same with you. They're like, how did you know? It's like, well, it's because there's nothing new under the sun. You know, like what you're experiencing in your company uh, the last 500 companies I've been in, they're experiencing the same thing too. I love it. I love it. I think that's an incredible insight because one of the things I've discovered is like, you know, I was, I was studying kind of like the theater, live theater. And what's so interesting is if you're, if you listen to the live theater individuals, they are 
um, uh, pronunci- enunciating things very specifically and almost like over over enunciating. And the reason why is because in order to you know talk to that big audience without it all being doubled up, and it's like bringing that energy even higher. So that's one of the things that I've figured out is like, okay, if I bring my normal energy and almost 10x my energy, that's that's kind of how I'm able to impact a little bit, right? But I yeah. think VR is going to be interesting play to see how it's going to be able to facilitate because the thing is, is we're still going to be all remote. A lot of business owners are just like, hey, cost effectively, it's much better and it's still production, but obviously how do I keep that output the same, right? Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's very interesting. Now, you did mention you struggle with speaking and I kind of want to kind of dive into this because I'm always interested in people's stories. So if you would, I would love to kind of get a, a synopsis of like, okay, what happened? Why would, did your mom even say that? Why is she still surprised? And uh, yeah, kind of where, where did that come from with that passion of leadership? Well, so a- as a kid, I was like intensely shy. So the story my mom always says, you know, when I'm two years old walking in the grocery store with her, somebody would come up and say hi to me, you know, hi, little boy. And I would go running and hide behind my mom's leg every time, just super, super shy. I was the kid. So I grew up in a small town in Eastern Washington. My parents were both public school teachers. They taught middle school. So my parents knew all of my teachers. And because of that, I, I don't ever remember, at least in elementary and junior high, ever asking a question in class. I had questions but because I knew the teachers through my parents, I would always wait till break, recess, after school, whatever, and go up and ask the question because I didn't want anybody looking at me. I did not want to be the, the center of attention at all. And, you know, that that's that's part maybe personality. It's I think it has a lot to do with being shy. I think it has a lot to do with being uh, confident. I guess your level of confidence in that case, uh, lacking lots of self-confidence. And uh, look, Christian, I was the type of guy that hated oral reports. My knees would shake. I would sweat. Everything would go black. I would go blank in my mind. When I'd start to talk, I could hear my voice quiver, you know, which just makes it worse because now you know that everybody knows that you're in a panic. And ultimately, it was, I have this phrase, I, I started to, to feel a sense, if you understand this, just like of destiny, like being being called to this. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a heart surgeon. Since fifth grade, I wanted to be a heart surgeon. But when I got older, it was like I wanted, I loved ideas. I loved leading. And the only way that you can really do that effectively is to communicate. Communication is the number one skill you have to have to be a leader because you can have great ideas. If you can't communicate those ideas, you're dead in the water. You have to know how to communicate. So I uh, determined to face my fear. And it was difficult, but I gave an empowering meaning beyond I just have to learn this skill. And that was the game changer for me because it gave me the power to move forward into something that was my greatest fear. In fact, it's 50% of uh, all Americans. It's their greatest fear. And so I was able to enter into it. And the funny thing was, once I switched gears and started talking about things that I loved and that I liked, which was personal transformation and some other things, uh, I found out that I could communicate fairly well. In school, I was awful. It was horrible. I just wanted to survive, you know, just give me a D and get me out of here, you know. And I was doing well in school, but that was my mentality. I was so afraid of it. And I remember the first time I spoke and had a gentleman kind of take me under his wing, business guy, to mentor me. And I got invited to go speak at a 
at a school, just a private school talking about some transformation things that I had experienced. And at the end, he sat there through the whole thing. And, you know, this is kindergartners to 12th grade. So it is a span. And it was awful, 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 I'm sure. But he, he said, how did you know, how'd you feel? How did it go? And just started taking me under his wing. It's like, you know, you did really well. Where do you think it was weak? And I was like, well, the ending, because we, we all do one of a couple things. If you don't have your ending planned, you either just mic drop, boom, done, or you keep summarizing what you said because you don't know where to stop. So you're just talking, talking, but you're going in circles. And then, you know, you finally just like walk off the stage or whatever. And so uh, he helped me a ton and it, but it was really giving that empowering meaning, that sense of like, I'm called, like I'm called into this, called into leadership, called to speak and communicate. I have that sense of destiny and drive. And that was, that was the impetus to help me get, get over that fear. But now when I coach people and on those videos, that is a, that's a big thing for me. Cause I can say, look, I've been there. And, you know, you talk to any of my high school friends, they're still like, dude, you, we graduated 350 people. You would have been 350 on the list to be the public speaker, you know? So it's, um, it's just, it's a fantastic journey. I'll tell you this, because I say I help people overcome fear. I help them build confidence and master public speaking. And it's amazing how, public speaking and confidence go hand in hand. And as you build that skill, it builds your confidence. And as you succeed, you continue to grow in those wins. It builds your confidence. And that confidence, I believe, at least in my experience, affects all the other areas of your life. You know, and I appreciate you going into that, Dr. Brian, Brian Wade, because, you know, a lot of times it does come off like, oh, he's always been doing it. He's always good. He's just was naturally born that way. And it's not. Um, but also one of the things is, is my, my, my next question is, why do you think you embrace that mentorship compared to others? Do you think some of people just didn't have that mentorship like others? Or why did you, out of everything, you were afraid just like everybody else, but you decided you chose. Why, why, why do you think that is? Well, first, I, I believe that mentorship slash coaching, however you want to define those, are some of the most powerful elements that we can have in our lives. So raising my kids, I always wanted some of my friends and leaders and uh, leaders at church, whatever, to, to, to speak to my kids. Because I know that as a parent, you can say something, even as a leader, you can say something to somebody and they're going to take it differently from an outside source. It's, it's just the way it is. I I am a lifelong learner. I want to grow. I want to develop myself. I want to be better. I know that I'm not perfect, that I don't see everything. And that sense of mentorship, and I think this is really important, especially as we think about the younger generations, is they want mentorship. They want the coaching. They want relationship. And because relationship, number one, it shows that you care. Like somebody that's willing to spend time with me, it shows that they care. And there's that relational component. That I think many of us want, want that relational component, especially when we're younger. Somebody's older, wiser, they take an interest in me. That means that I'm special in their eyes anyway. They're making that time investment. And that sense of value, uh, that sense of trust, that sense of like uh, being invested in is, is a powerful trigger, especially in the life of young people and, and people that want to develop themselves and get better. Like 
I had just enough of the D, you know, the driver personality in me, although I grew up in an incredibly passive household, which is probably why I was a little more on this kind of shy side of things and had to really work through some of those issues. But I was, I was hungry and starving for uh, bettering myself, knowing more. And I realized that uh, I, uh, I didn't have all the answers. Although, you know, the older I got, the more uh, my intellect and degrees and everything almost became a hamstring for me because I began to think, well, I can do it. I can figure it out. And I had a big aha moment. I was at a, a retreat. And in this retreat, they brought us down to the basement and everybody was blindfolded. So we had these blindfolds on and had our hand on the shoulder of the person in front of us. And they said, we're going to lead you into a maze. And you're going, to have, you're going to have a certain amount of time to find your way out of the maze. Now, you can ask questions, but we're only going to answer in yes or no questions. And so I'm in this maze and I'm feeling my way through and trying to get a map in my mind and blindfolded and can't see anything. And I'm feeling along. And then after about five, six, seven minutes, we hear some of the facilitators say, all right, uh, Sarah's out. I'm like, dang, I thought I was going to be the first, you know. Uh, and then Brad is out. Uh, Karen is out. And then I'm, I'm getting frustrated because I'm thinking to myself, I'm just as smart as those people. I should be able to figure this out. How come I can't figure it out? And I hear people kind of whispering and whispering, whispering. And then, you know, Steve is out, Tony's out. And so finally, a facilitator comes up and says, is there any questions you want to ask? I said, yeah, is it possible to get out of this thing? And they're like, yes. And so I'm searching and I'm like, you know, am I going to be able to find the way out? And they're like, maybe, you know, just one word answer. And so I said, can you, eventually I said, can you help me get out? They said, yes, didn't move. And then I remembered because again, my mom was a junior high English teacher. I'd always say, mom, can you do this? And she'd be like, yeah, I can. And she'd make me say, will you do this for me, please? And so that lesson popped into my mind. I said, can you, you know, can I get out? And uh, so I shifted and I said, will you help me get out? And at that moment, they ripped the blindfold off of my eyes. And what little light there was seemed to be like overwhelming. It was like a startling, impactful moment that I realized we're not created to do life on our own. And asking for help and having mentors and coaches and people that come alongside us, whether it's consultants, whether it's coaches, like, they are there to help us. Why would I want to try and do it on my own when I have a guide to help me on my hero's journey? And so wow. that, wow. that was incredibly, that was a powerful moment for me that just got me thinking like, man, I, I, I've had mentors all my life. Started with that first guy named Rick. Uh, the reason I'm in Nashville, had a, a great friend. Uh, who's older, New York Times bestselling author, mentor me. It just, it's something that I've gravitated toward, although at times I forget that lesson. You know, I really appreciate you diving into that because that's just hitting me massively because it is okay uh, to ask for help. And it's, it's not, it's not humili uh, humiliation. It's not, you know, whatever you like to put on it. It's not shame. It's just, hey, you know what? I need help. And, and I think that's just a beautiful lesson. Uh, Dr. Wade, how can our audience reach out to you, engage with your content, kind of be in your community, man? 
All right. Well, first of all, uh, LinkedIn is a great space. I love LinkedIn. I'm on there just about every day. Sometimes when I'm traveling, I get a little distracted. So LinkedIn, it's uh, Brian W. Wade, Dr. Brian W. Wade. You can find me there as well as uh, from LinkedIn. It's got, of course, my uh, telephone number. It's got a QR code there. You can scan and uh, set a 30-minute appointment with me. And you can also just go to the websites, strategicfuture.org or givepowerfulpresentations.com. And it's got my emails and phone numbers and uh, scheduling apps, everything, everything there. I'd love to uh, help out with uh, folks any way that I can, whether it's public speaking or from a leadership communication standpoint. That's awesome, my guys. Those links will actually be in the description below. Make sure you click on that stuff right now and just engage with what he's got going on. He's very, very um, prevalent and an expert in this industry. And, you know, Dr. Wade, I first of all really want to thank you for just bringing such immense value to our audience, just kind of going from, you know, obviously what the heck's going on in today's world culturally, how to obviously engage to the fullest, fullest capacity with those teams from different generations and, and really maximizing the output for your team. Uh, and then as well as your story, I really just appreciate diving mm-hmm and just incredible lessons. Um, now, before we let you go, Dr. Wade, is there any last words you'd like to share with our audience? Any last words? Uh, yeah. So one of my favorite quotes is from T.E. Lawrence, who is uh, better known as Lawrence of Arabia. And he has a famous quote called dreamers of the day. And essentially he says a lot of people dream, but they dream in the dusty recesses of their mind and they wake to the day to find it was vanity. In other words, it was just a dream. But he said, dangerous are the people, the men that dream during the day because they're awake to make their dreams possible. And so I just want to encourage your listeners, keep listening to you. You give incredible content to help people fulfill their dreams so that they're not just hopes, but they're becoming reality. So keep being dreamers of the day and making your dreams become possible. And guys, that is Dr. Brian Wade, and this is Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. Until next time, remember, be uncommon if you can. Are you an aspiring side hustler or online business owner that wants to create passive income, but you don't know where, you don't know how to start? Well, go to EvansFamilySideHustle.com, schedule a 45-minute phone conference with myself, Christian Evans, or one of my sales coaches. Again, that's EvansFamilySideHustle.com.